subscribe at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. And yes, welcome to the show with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, here to shine a light on those devilish monopolists who have corrupted our economics as uh, this horrid, horrid Groundhog Day where more and more reports keep getting released uh, without duly recognising the power that is concentrating at the top of society. And it's not just because people are wealthy, my friends. It is due to legal privileges garnering domain over this here earth at great expense to the rest of us, that uh, few actually are quantifying. So that is our role here, my role uh, working for Prosper Australia, an organisation that's been uh, in action for over 126 years, talking about the incredible advantages that those who own the earth have over anyone trying to run a business or earn a wage. And uh, that is the concern that it's these natural monopolies that are being privatized left, right and center alongside uh, the incredible gains in real estate that uh, is leading to so much concern amongst society. Uh, People were doing crazy things like uh, all these mass shootings we keep seeing around... uh, well, in America, let's be let's be fair, and but still, to see that carjackings are occurring here in Australia is something that uh, you just didn't hear of uh, back ten years ago when we started this show. It was maybe something would happen once in a blue moon, but it seems to be happening more often. So, under the spotlight today, the ACTU. Yes, our peak union body released a report called Rising Inequality, an Australian Reality. And they quote, The last OECD Economic Survey of Australia released in March 2017 had this to say about income inequality in Australia. Inclusiveness has been eroded. The Gini coefficient has been drifting up. Now, the Gini is a measure of inequality. We're going to look into this in more detail soon. But this Gini coefficient has been drifting up and households in upper income brackets have benefited disproportionately from Australia's long period of economic growth. Real incomes for the top quintile of households grew by more than 40% between 2004 and 2014, while those for the lowest quintile only grew by about 25%. So that is certainly important. Uh, I wanted to uh, mention, though, that uh, by the time you get to page five in this report, talking about wealth inequality, uh, the real increase of household income and wealth has very little to do with income. It's all to do with net wealth, and that is what's driving that's where investment, property speculation and all the tax loopholes involved there are what 
is driving this inequality. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit frustrating that they got to that point and that was all they said, basically. They, they then flipped over to wages and looking at the problem of uh, minimum wages whilst uh, along the way pointing out the top 10 richest Australians. And out of the top 10 of Anthony Pratt, Harry Triggerbuff, Gina Reinhart, Frank Lowy, Ivan Glazenberg, Andrew Forrest, John Gandell, Hugh Wing Mao, James Packer and Stan Perrin. Wow, you've got to look at that and say at least 7 out of 10 have property or mining as their number one income source, wealth source. So that is uh, a big pointer to say, look, uh, it's, it's these easy profits in our natural resources, predominantly land, that is uh, the big issue. But of course, that isn't their uh, prerogative. The ACTU's concern is about wage growth. And my concern here on the 3CR Airways is that uh, if we listen to economists such as Jim Stamford from the Australian Institute who are saying, look, uh, rising Uh, increasing minimum wages are a good thing for economic growth. They do uh, uh, great things for spurring consumer demand. And from that, uh, it it helps the overall economy. Well, who does it really help? (sighs) Property investors, again, land prices take all the gains. If we have more money, whether it's through first homeowners grant, wage rises, stamp duty discounts, superannuation access, all of those things add to our purchasing capacity. And uh, when finding somewhere to live is uh, virtually our number one financial priority, it's our number one life priority to have a good home, somewhere where we feel comfortable and safe, where we feel like we can be a valued member of our community Well, anyone doing anything to improve the community, whether it's Banksy putting up a graffiti piece or a volunteer planting trees in the local community park, it all leads to location, locational values. So those who own the land take all the gains. So uh, over to the Hilda survey out of... uh, Melbourne University, this is a big one and there's been this ongoing debate between Bill Shorten uh, saying that uh, inequality is rising and uh, yeah, the Conservatives saying well actually it's not and uh, much of this comes from um, the work of uh, the Hilda Report which comes out every five years It's the Household Income and Labour Dynamics in Australia survey. Um, It's funded by the Australian Government Department of Social Services and run out of the University of Melbourne, where since 2002 they've done this survey of some 15,000 households over that time. And uh, the most striking element to this report was the effect on housing affordability and the decline the rapid decline of home ownership. And some of you will have heard the major points and I've talked about it before on the show, but I sort of go into it in a little bit more detail because uh, for those aged 18 to 24, uh, there was a 3.8% decline um, in home ownership. But because of such a small percentage of the population, that represented a 61% decline in home ownership for this age group. 
Uh, we don't know whether uh, these are all just uh, rich kids who've inherited their properties and there's lower inheritance or whether it's hardworking individuals able to save up their sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 deposit by the time they're uh, 24 and buy a house. That's quite some achievement uh, to this day and age. But the decline in home ownership for this cohort of 18 to 24-year-olds occurred primarily between 2002 and 2006 and between 2010 and 2014. Now, that first period between 2002 and 2006, the big issue there was uh, the capital gains discount was a huge one uh, to influence housing affordability. Yeah, that capital gains discount, which saw Harry Triggerbuff's wealth uh, skyrocket. If you've seen the uh, Earthsharing Twitter account, you would have uh, noticed that picture I put up last year was quite popular, showing how Australia's richest person's uh, wealth has a direct correlation to the halving of the capital gains tax rate, which on last week's show I uh, declared as the greatest tax distortion we have running at present. I suppose I should clarify that and say that, uh, well, I kind of did last week, but if we did have a land tax in place, it would uh, nullify the advantages the capital gains tax discount has allowed. But the other big decline in home ownership between 2010 and 2014 was uh, when the first homeowners grant was in full flight under Kevin Rudd and Wayne Swan, and uh, they were pulling out all stops to ensure the Australian economy didn't crash like had happened in America. So uh, money was being handed out uh, hand over fist and uh, many people were qualifying for twenty-four dollars to $32,000 for their first homeowner's grant. So that all, of course, increased uh, the price of land and from that made it more difficult for those in... Uh, their early working life to be able to buy property. Now, one of the other interesting points from the Hilda survey is uh, how home ownership rates were influenced by one's education. So in 2014, 37.1% of those holding a university qualification were homeowners compared to 28.2% of those with uh, other post-school qualifications. 14.3% of those completed high school and 12.6% of those were the highest attainment of less than high school completion. This clear ordering by educational attainment was not present in 2002. So there we have another example of the stratification of society and the has and have nots getting further ahead. Many will know of uh, the influence of uh, uh, solid family dynamics in helping one's kids attain university qualifications. Well, for those not so lucky, uh, yeah, post-2002, it seems that, uh, yeah, really, you've got your work cut out for you if you don't have uh, some sort of university qualification. Basically, uh, more than 33% greater likelihood of owning a house if you have a university degree. So the biggest issue, according to Hilda, for home ownership is what's happened in the second lowest quintile. This is uh, those who earn 
in the 20 to 40 percent income range. So uh, the wealthiest earn uh, in the top quintile between 80 to 100 percent, the lowest uh, zero to 20 percent. So in those lower to middle income earners, uh, in in 2002, 37% of people aged 18 to 39 were homeowners, but by 2014, this had plummeted to 16.6%. Massive fall there by over 20% in just 12 years. And if that isn't the biggest concern regarding uh, these tax uh, loopholes, these tax incentives for property speculation, then I don't know what is. Uh, the rising role of inequality is uh, a huge one for uh, Gen X, Y and uh, Generation Z. So uh, we're going to be very interested to see if it does have a meaningful role to play in next year's or 2019's election. So uh, there's more and more concerns coming through from these faulty economic foundations, from the role that uh, lobbyocracy, the the revolving door between politics and big business, we should say between politics and uh, monopolists, rent seekers who are trying to sculpt public policy to favour their particular business, their particular industry. So what's happening in the real world? It's been a while since I have spoken about the Australian housing market, but uh, SQM Research has uh, uh, been out in the press today, and it's very interesting because CoreLogic is uh, is finding in their monthly house price index that uh, Sydney property prices have had their first decline since 2015. This is a massive uh, story for those of us who have been in the don't buy now camp for a long, long time. Uh, back in, oh, I think it was 2010, we started talking about don't buy now, the depths of uh, the global financial crisis. And uh, yeah, we've been waiting for this correction, but so many policy handouts have been given to property investors that uh, the bubble has continued onwards and upwards. And so what uh, I'm going to point out to you is that uh, uh, we, we often have this tension between prices and the supply on the market. And I'm very critical of the way that these aggregated developments, these huge mass estates can drip feed their supply to manufacture scarcity and from that push prices higher. So whilst uh, prices in Melbourne have increased by some 19% over the last year, lo and behold, the listings of properties for sale have fallen by 12.9%. Whereas in Sydney, where prices are starting to uh, correct now, listings have increased by 12.3%. So... Very interesting to see that Hobart is one of the the uh, most uh, uh, bubblesome markets at the moment with prices increasing uh, up there with uh, Sydney and Melbourne. Well, uh, the listings in Hobart have fallen by 25.5% according to the online listings that, uh, that SQM have quantified via their data scraping of uh, various online websites. So uh, that is something to keep an eye on. Are supply levels being massaged to ensure that prices keep going upwards? It's, it's 
absolutely outrageous that there isn't greater transparency on the various supply mechanisms uh, through these mass estates and uh, these these huge uh, apartment blocks that are being built in uh, in these global cities of ours and uh, whether that's having an effect on housing prices so uh, please keep an eye out for that one what's wrong nothing nothing's wrong is it let's keep rolling let's keep rolling because millennials they're the landless generation a uh, Twitter handle by the name of Urban Land Rights wrote a great piece on Medium, Medium recently to say that a borrower on a 30-year mortgage spends 27 years paying for something that isn't a house. Yes, he's talking about the land. And of course, uh, if people do not have equal access to land value, what it really means is that they have no right to be a member of a community, no right to occupy the physical universe except in its remotest rent-free locations. And a civilization that founds itself on keeping people apart like this cannot masquerade as a civilization for long. Ooh, that's a big one, isn't it? Do you get that one? If people do not have equal access to land value, what it really means is that they have no right to be a member of a community. Wow, that is... That sums it right up there. So what they're saying is that by being part of a community, you create land value just by our existence. I often say if uh, everyone left Melbourne, what would happen to land prices? They would plummet. But if we all came back, up they'd go again. Now, who should get that rising value? Should it be those genocidalists who uh, came here and stole the land? Or should it be... Every citizen with a treaty backing up some sort of arrangement uh, for this theft after all these years. That's the sort of thinking we need uh, to survive in this globalised world where people can buy and sell real estate from a hammock in their favourite tax haven. It's uh, it's really sums it up, that statement. So uh, if we did have a land tax system in place where... Essentially, the 500 billion plus increase in land values over the last year was channeled away from the banks and towards giving us all a tax cut. Companies included, it would have a powerful effect in terms of regenerating small business, ensuring that uh, land prices were somewhat related to what our wages uh, could, could earn, could deliver and not based on what uh, the banks will lend to us and how much debt they'll uh, give us to hang ourselves with. So uh, by channeling that property bubble away from these bad influences, uh, we can have an income tax cut. We can remove the 125 taxes that add some 23% to all of the pricing structures that we pay for. And uh, with that we'd have an understanding that as our community grows in value, we too can share in that in some small way. And there's uh, a number of uh, researchers around the world looking at how uh, the utilisation of this system uh, is 
vital towards funding the sort of citizens' dividend, the universal basic income movement that's happening around the world. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more details on that uh, in the coming weeks. So uh, one of the other big concerns we have in this inequality debate uh, and, and the pressure that uh, the Conservatives push is that one of the biggest uh, leakages of, of the government and, and one of the biggest problems in society are these uh, uh, welfare receivers. Uh, they're the big problem. But uh, if we have a look at the spending on age pensions versus uh, that spent on unemployment, it's $44 billion on age pension versus just $11 billion for unemployment payments in 15-16. You know, it's quite a stark difference there, four times greater on uh, age pension, which, you know, I believe we need to double anyway. So uh, double both of those. So we've basically got uh, $100 billion in, in welfare payments uh, required there. Well, Australian uh, income taxes and company taxes only raised some $265 billion last year, $265 billion. And here's Australian land values uh, increasing by over $500 billion, we estimate, based on the eight capital cities index released uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, there is more than enough money to uh, fund these good things whilst uh, penalising the bad behaviour and inspiring people to get closer to uh, being the sort of entrepreneurial uh, problem solver that we were brought up to believe in rather than uh, a smug property investor able to uh, spend $10,000 on a meeting with a minister and uh, get their land rezoned and make some... uh, who knows, $10, $15 million in, in 18 months. Well, if we slide on over to the UK, we can see yet again another example of why this just doesn't happen. Well, after Theresa May, uh, uh, in terms of the Conservative uh, leadership stakes, there's a guy named Philip Hammond, uh, who uh, I think might be their treasurer over there. And he's, uh, the problem is, uh, as... Uh, a 58-year-old uh, long-term parliamentarian. He's built up the most valuable property portfolio in the cabinet. So, uh, yeah, again and again and again, we see that uh, politicians are uh, blinkered by their own self-interest and it's just outrageous that they can own any property when uh, this article points out that Philip uh, Hammond bought the uh, the cottage next door to his main home in in 2005 for 315,000 pounds but didn't register it until 4 years later so the rules and regulations around uh, politicians and what they're able to do with their property investments really has to stamp up i've i've mentioned it many times but in the house of commons uh, uh, affordability campaign is a shock that some 43% of MPs own uh, investment properties in the in the UK House of Commons. But of course, here in Australia, 94% of federal MPs own investment properties. And uh, many people look at Nick Xenophon as a uh, beacon of hope amongst our MPs. But uh, whilst he's uh, vigorous in terms of critiquing gambling via pokey machines he is uh, incredibly supportive 
of gambling via property speculation when it comes to uh, reforming land taxes and ensuring that we have a decent form of public revenue raising. So uh, that story goes on and on and on, doesn't it, listeners? Week after week, uh, we're talking about similar sort of things. Good the ACTU did this rising inequality report. A pity they didn't point out that so much of uh, the top 10's wealth comes from this concept of economic rent, this unearned income delivered by the, the, the paper rights that uh, legal privilege gives monopoly owners, whether that's someone owning land, there is only one GPS location on this planet. It's very hard to, rec- to replicate. Uh, or whether they are insiders uh, who have managed to purchase a natural monopoly such as the Port of Melbourne. Jack rents up 300 400% uh, upon ownership. It's just incredible. And here we have gas prices up 35% on international markets uh, due to uh, the regulation fears here in Australia. It's also been some gas production concerns uh, and delays regarding Hurricane Harvey and uh, a few other projects around the world, but they're up 35%. And now the federal government's threatening to withhold GST for states like Victoria, who has a a fracking ban in place. So uh, they've mastered this beautifully, the the gas uh, oligopoly, um, wanting to uh, access more gas fields and, uh, yeah, this switch to the international pricing regime has certainly shaken up Australia's energy market. It's just an absolute disgrace that the Conservatives, who have uh, dilly-dallied around on, on a definitive a definitive energy policy, well, all those years of underinvestment as big business sits by waiting for some sort of leadership have now led to this crisis situation. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is uh, halfway through building a 100 megawatt renewable energy battery storage uh, over in South Australia. Fantastic that he is doing that. And uh, the the people are supporting his efforts through this uh, a huge rally in the Tesla um, share market price. It's uh, certainly the sort of leadership we need to see. But my oh my, uh, with a sort of a carbon tax plan that uh, uh, we saw uh, met, discussed again in the Australian Financial Review today, uh, BHP, Rio Tinto, they're supporting China's moves towards uh, an emissions trading scheme and it's high time Australia got back in uh, that game because uh, the world of regulation that Tony Abbott's tried to deliver for us has been an absolute horror zone and as predicted uh, got us nowhere at all except uh, allowing uh, one of the gas giants, Grant King, a fascinating play going on where uh, he retired from Origin Energy after earning uh, $45 million over nine years for a seriously underperforming company, uh, despite uh, you know some of these price gains they've enjoyed. And uh, yeah, the BHP shareholders uh, said, no, thanks, we're not having you. We're kicking you out. So that was good to see that some shareholder activism uh, kept Uh, some of these insiders at bay but uh, yeah the Australian miracle economy 
26 years without a correction. Will that continue? I hope you're on the edge of your seat as I am. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au to uh, fire me up with the sort of perspective you think I should be covering, what story is not being discussed in terms of economics. That's why we're here. Speak to you next week. The Wall of Sonic Plethora. All the weighty sound.